The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. I'm Jimmy Branch. I'm an elder here also at Missio. We're taking a break from Acts and we're jumping into Jonah, uh, which is really exciting. At first, I was a little like, oh, this is great, but a lot of people have this, this idea about Jonah and stuff. And when it was said, all right, pick your chapter, before anybody could say anything, one of the other elders was like, chapter four, because that's the one. That's the one that brings everything together. And so, and then I, and somehow I was like, I'll take what I get, chapter one. And I was like, oh, really? And so here's the crazy thing. For days, I was like, this is just like an introduction, and it just kind of leaves it hanging. And then, but then as God, as I begin to pray and read the scriptures, I begin to see, wait, there's so much more going on here in chapter 1. And so then my problem became, what do we focus on? So I'm going to try to stay out of the weeds this morning, but there's so much to be said here in Jonah. So let's look at Jonah. Um, uh, we're gonna be, what we're going to see in overview, we're going to see God's love for that which he has labored for. And that will make more sense when we get to that chapter four. And I'm going to do my best not to do any kind of spoiler alerts, though I hope you've all read it. If you haven't read it and you want to find out, it doesn't take long. It's four chapters. It's really short. So so uh, I'm going to read here. If you'll go to cha- Jonah chapter one, verses one through 17. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. They're, take one if you don't have one. It's yours to keep. Uh, so Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, you a, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to come and just look at your word. And there's so much here, Lord, we can discount it when you say this is a story. But Father, the, the further I got into this, even chapter 1, the more I see the gospel, the gospel just crying out to us, calling us, calling us forward to you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that, that Lord, no matter what's said, that your Holy Spirit is just going to touch our hearts, guide us in this, and speak to us as individuals and as a group. What do you want to say to us today, Lord? I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so anyway, a quick side story. This kind of reminds, as anytime I preach on something or I study, you know, I'm going to preach on it, I always think, like, what does this remind me of in my life? And this will be my little funny story for things here. So I was trying to think of when is this, what comes to mind when being pursued or this tempest thing coming? So I started thinking about when I was like a young, young, I was probably about 11 or 12 years old, and I was fortunate to live beside this BMX track. And... I mean, it was, like, so great. That's where I spent all my time. But I was younger, and there was older guys. There was, like, older guys that everybody thought, these are the cool guys. These are the ones I want to be like, because they were, like, athletic, and they were, like, sponsored, and they had everything. But me and my friend, we weren't that. We were just the little kids. But there was this, so we were at the track, and there was two older guys up there, and we knew them. Well, we knew them more than they knew us, but they knew who we were. And so we decided we wanted to pick at him. For whatever reason, we thought that we had something to say to him. We were just trying to get their attention. That's what it was at the end of the day. But there was this fence between us. And to me, it was like the Great Wall of China. Like, so they were up there. They were probably like half a football field, maybe a little less away. And they're like doing their thing. And they're looking all pumped. And they got their BMX box. And these guys are driving. They're like 19, 20 years old or whatever. It's a little, you know. So we start taunting them just making comments that we shouldn't be making, first of all. Like, but you're not, you're not thinking this through. And so at some point, and, and my friend was making more comments. Let's just say that. He was picking more. <laughs> so, so at some point, my mind went, wait, one of them is moving toward us. And there was a good distance. Like, we thought we were pretty safe. And then your mind goes, I should probably run, right? So, so just instant, we're gone. Well, here's the problem. We're, the direction we have to go, which is the opposite of where they're coming from, is uphill, and it's grass. And so we're like chucking it. And my friend's way faster than me. If he ever hears this, he knows. He's faster than me. I don't know if I got a jump start on him. I was processing a little quicker, or I was just that scared. <laughs> so, so as we're going, we're running up the hill. And every time I look back, he's like closer. Like there's this magic, like boom, he's just closer. And there was that fence, right? So like I look back, I don't know. He just appears on the other side of the fence. Like the fence wasn't there for him. And so as we're going and I'm just like digging in and I look back and I see my friend just disappear into oblivion. Like he caught him pretty quick. Like I can still see that. My eyes like my friend's like, whoa. So here's the point. Most people are like, well, that's when you should turn back and go help him. Okay. That's when I do a cost analysis, right? That's when I say, (laughs) okay, so, so we got options here. This is going to cost me a lot and I'm not going to get much out of it. But, but if I survive, it's better to have only one beat-up guy than two beat-up guys, and then I can go back later and help him out. So, so that was the story. So it made me think about Jonah. Like, Jonah here is trying to run, and the crazy thing is he's running on the ocean that God created. Like, right, he's like, he has no control out there. So and God is coming after him. A lot of times we think of this story or we see it, we think about, like, everybody's heard about Jonah in, in Sunday school class, and we get to see the little cartoons. But this is like serious stuff. I need you to keep in mind, these are like Phoenician sailors who have been like through the worst of the storms. And they are like freaked out. And they're doing, they're, this is big. This is a big deal. So 
So this is not a big fish story, as some people call it. It's about Jonah and God's mercy for an enemy. Um, So who was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet who had already been used by God. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14. God had called Jonah to go to the great Assyrian city of Nineveh to pronounce judgment on it. To show God's judgment, mercy, and grace. Why this story? To show God's judgment, mercy, and grace, and to show God's love for that which he has labored. Also, what this book shows, as I begin to look at it and you read into it, it shows God's sovereign control. There's a lot of sovereignty of God going on in this story. Um, His determination to get his message to the world, the need for repentance from sin, the need for repentance from self-centeredness and hypocrisy, and the assurance of God's mercy when people repent. All that is in this first chapter with much more. I mean, there's just so much more. It just keeps expanding. When did this happen? Jonah prophesied during the time of Jeroboam II of Israel. This is around 760 B.C., and he was in the divided kingdom. <clears throat> so there's a lot going on there. Assyrian, Assyria is growing. Syria, Assyria is growing. But they're not focused on, on Israel, Jerusalem. But they are enemies. They hate each other. They literally can't stand each other. They don't want anything to do with each other. And this takes place between Jerusalem and are from Jerusalem to Nineveh. So here's the big question on everybody's mind. And if you try to Google search this, like it automatically comes up sentences because everybody has Googled this. Is it fiction? Can a fish really swallow a man and keep him alive for three days? I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't matter. So here's the deal. Uh, James Boyce, this is a quote I found. James Boyce says this. Those who adhere to the total trustworthiness of the Bible, now as then, rightly insist that Jonah was literally swallowed and was then preserved alive for three days by the fish's action. To those who believe in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, such an event is not at all impossible, right? I mean, if the creator of all the universe can raise his son from the dead... I think he can keep a man alive for three days in a fish. So let's just stick there and say that's, that's what's happening. And, and stranger things have happened in this world. And it also makes me think about all the strange things we believe, but we have a hard time with that. Um, we also have, it's historical. This book is historical. We see in 2 Kings 14.25, which is uh, uh, giving you know, a, histor- a history of what's going on there during this time. Uh, it says, he restored the border from Israel, from uh, Lebo Hamath, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. These are real people, places, and times. This, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. He was a real guy. He was really around. But here's the best part. Jesus talks about Jonah. He's one of like three prophets, I think, that Jesus actually mentions. That's pretty big. So Jesus in Matthew twelve forty says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And we're going to see that. We're gonna, this is what's crazy is the gospel is all over this story. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it down. We're just going to look at individual pieces and then get to that gospel part. So in, in, chapter, or in verses 1 and 2, the Lord's call and command. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah really heard from God. Like, he really heard. He was a prophet. He heard from God. God audibly said, go do this. It's not like a lot of us sometimes think we're hearing from God or things we take as from God. This is a real situation. Now, 
So Nineveh was a large Assyrian city that was wicked, cruel, and ruthless. That's what it was known for. And it was, it was a large city. I think I read that it was the largest city up to that point in, that re, in like that part of the world. Like it was, it was it's huge. They were the enemies of Israel, and God was declaring a coming judgment. But we see Jonah is now his refusal to do that and his flight. He takes off. He's out of here. Uh, it says in verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. First, I want to say, <clears throat> it says Tarshish like three times in there. And it makes it really hard to read because you're like, we get it, we get it. Well, the point being made is he's not doing what God asked him to do, and he's going the opposite direction. He's taking off. They're making it very clear. Um, so here's the deal. Nineveh was 550 miles east from Jerusalem. East, 550 miles east. But Tarshish was more than 1,000 miles west. That's how bad he's wanting out of town. Like he's like, I'm going 1,000 miles the other direction. I can see him with his Google Maps out. And he plugs in Nineveh and he's like, okay, what's the opposite of that? Double it. Um, which is crazy because this is his enemy, right? If God of the universe is behind you and he's like, all right, go proclaim judgment on your enemy, you're going to be like, woo, yes, we're going to do this. You're not scared of anything, but not him. He's like, I'm out of here. And, and you'll see later why that's a big deal or why he's doing that. So the question I would ask, we're going to start tying it into us, is do you ever flee the presence of the Lord? Do you ever flee the presence of the Lord? You take off opposite what maybe he's drawn you to do, what he's, he's asked you to do, what his words asked you to do. Do you head the other direction? Are you currently? Seems like at any given time, I feel like often I'm doing that, like especially when things are going good or maybe I'm getting things I want, I'll drift off or head the other direction or maybe resist altogether. <clears throat> Brian Robbins preached this. I can't remember, it was a while back, but he said, he made a good statement. He said, there's always going to be a ship leaving for Tarshish if you want to run. And that's truth. Anytime you want to split, the enemy's always got the ship waiting on you. You can get out of here anytime you want. So you need to ask yourself, as we read through this, how do you run? Where do you go and what do you turn to? And I would say that what do you turn to is the big thing. I think most of us just turn to something else. We turn and head that other direction, the thousand miles. It's whatever gives us that fulfillment, fulfills that moment, or takes care of that immediate pain. If you are in him, is there anywhere you can hide? Now, this is crazy that Jonah's running from God. Like, really? Like, it's like me and my friend trying to run from that guy. Like, we're not getting away. I got away. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but it was at his cost, so hey. Um, so, uh, so if you're in him, is there anywhere you can hide? Remember the 99. He says he'll always leave the 99 to go get the one. Like, you're that important to him. Why would Jonah run from this task? That's a big question. If it was about God's wrath for Israel's enemy. So, spoiler alert, and I don't want to ruin this for Ron, I believe. But in chapter 4, we see this. We see there's this self-centeredness going on. It was like a nationalism. This will preach really good. I mean, he's got a lot. Four is going to be awesome. Be here for Ron's message. It's going to be awesome. Um, um, so it was, it ultimately, it was self-centeredness. We're going we're gonna to find that out later, but it was all about him. It was all about Jonah. He didn't want to do what God asked him to do for his own reasons and his mo own motivations. <clears throat> so anyway, then we begin to see the Lord's correction and pursuit. So 
uh, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, give a thought to us that we may not perish. So this is like big deal. How many people here have seen like perfect storm? So, like, that's what I'm seeing. Like, these waves are coming up. And, and, and that can happen anywhere. I mean, I was on a lake one time with some kayaks. And, like, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden I'm like, what's going on here? So, like, and that was scary enough. But these guys are out in the open waters. And these sailors, they're terrified. They're throwing stuff overboard. Like, that's a big deal. That's their living. That's, their, that's somebody's property. If it's theirs, it's the sale. If it's someone's else, they're going to have to give account for that. So, so this is a big, big storm. So if we look at verse 4, it says, The Lord hurled. And I also want you to pay attention now. The Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, and D in your uh, uh, Bibles, or it should be, or it typically is. So the Lord hurled. The Lord is in control and sovereign. The Lord brought the storm. He did it. He was in full control. We're going to see that again and again in here. So some... Some people preach this book, and often this book is preached as, you better not run, God will come find you, or you're going to get, you better obey, or God's going to send a storm into your life. Um, But if you think about it, the real wrath for us and for Jonah, the real wrath would be if he let Jonah go, if he let us go, if he didn't allow this stuff, he didn't pursue us, he didn't seek us, he didn't cause stuff that would draw us back to him. That's the real wrath, to just go, you want to run, go. But he doesn't do that. He pursues, and he doesn't have to. That's what blows my mind. God doesn't have to pursue you. He does not need you. When you see those bumper stickers that, like, God wanted a friend, no. He, he didn't want a friend or need a friend. Now, he has a friend, but he, he didn't need that. He doesn't need you. He doesn't have to. Have, he loves you. He does everything for you. He provides for you. Even the gospel is all his work. So some say that, but the real wrath would be to let Jonah go. So here's a question that pops into my mind. How is Jonah sleeping? Like, I get stuck in places like that. A lot of people go over, he's just sleeping. But I'm thinking, these guys are freaking out. They're throwing stuff off the ship, and he's just down there sleeping away. I don't know if it was a good sleep. Maybe he took some NyQuil or something. But he was like, so he's sleeping. But maybe, maybe he was sleeping because he was trying to forget the Lord's pursuit. Trying to avoid the calamity going on around him. Do you do that? And it doesn't have to be physical sleep. Sometimes we just sleep spiritually. We just try to avoid. We try to do other things. But we also can sleep physically. I know that when I went through periods of time in my life where I was depressed or I was just not happy with the things way going or things were bad, it was easier just to go to bed. Just forget about it. Because when you're sleeping, you don't got to think about it. <clears throat> so ask yourself, um, do you do that? Do you sleep spiritually, intentionally, or physically to get away from things? So now here uh, is something as a side note as I was reading through this. This is just a side note from Jimmy. That should be like a little podcast or something. Jonah's running from God's command is a sin. Jonah's sinning here. He's taking off. He's doing opposite of what the God's commanded. And he's doing it for very sinful reasons. We're going to see that. Sin happens when we're running from what God has called us to do or commanded us to do. And so what I thought about here, there is collateral damage when we do this. 
others, the it's in this story, it's the sailors and their customers, can feel the effects of our sin. So when we're doing what we're not supposed to be doing or not doing what we're supposed to be doing, we need to think about those people around us that are going to pay this price or they're going to feel this. And sometimes it'll result in good things, and I believe God will allow to. But we got to remember that sometimes it's not just us. There's people around us. So Jonah's exposed in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what, uh, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So casting lots. For us as Christians, we go... Well, isn't that like gambling or something? Or like it kind of messes with us because it seems like it's more of a like luck thing or, or whatnot. But uh, the casting of lots to determine a decision, in this case to find a culprit, was common in Israel and other countries in the ancient Near East. This would be like drawing straws to us. Like, all right, who's going to go out and pick up the trash that the bear turned over? And yes, the bear's right next door still doing that trash can. And so you draw the short straw or the long straw. Maybe that's what you want. Um, so it's like that for them. So they're doing this. And we also have, remember, Acts 1, 6, the apostles, when they're like, oh, we got to replace Judas. They make it pretty simple. You know what I mean? That's like they're trusting God. They're like, we'll just cast lots. <laughs> That's pretty cool, I think, you know. Um, so God's, uh, God expressed his sovereignty in this. So, so here again is God's sovereignty all over this. God expressed his sovereignty over Jonah's affairs, causing the lot to fall on his disobedient prophet. So God's sovereignty is involved. The guy's exposed. Jonah's sin was exposed. And it is mercy when our sin is exposed. It gives us opportunity to stop running, surrender, and repent to return home. So this was good for Jonah. This is good that Jonah's being exposed. God's like, I'm chasing you. I'm coming after you. And he's exposing it before any more damage can be done. Because God... God wants to keep Jonah from just driving his life deeper and deeper into a mess. The Lord feared. This is where I think it gets really cool. The men were exceedingly afraid and, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So like they were afraid. Now they're like really afraid. <laughs> and you see now they're going to shift over. And now they're going to start talking about Lord, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. <laughs> Because he had told them. So, they, uh, uh, so now they're starting to see and fear this God of Israel. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Desperation. Now they're really afraid. Um, these are hardened sailors. These are like those guys. Like whatever TV show you watch has sailors and it's those guys, the tough guys. They know something is bad wrong. They know it's falling apart. So he gives them instruction. Jonah says... Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So here's my question. Why doesn't Jonah just jump? I mean, and I, don't, I might not have the right answer. These are just inquiring minds want to know. You know, I'm reading the scripture. So why didn't Jonah jump? Why did they have to throw him? I'm not sure. But maybe, this is just a maybe, he didn't think he would be as responsible for his own death. And there's some illustration that's gonna, this is going to tie into really good later. But maybe it was as Jonah was like, he was just removing himself for everything. And he's like, I don't want responsibility for that either. Um, 
But it also, Jonah's reply may show how desperate he was to avoid God's command to go to the Ninevites. Maybe he thought that if he would drown, he could escape this task. It was that big a deal to Jonah. He wanted out of it. <clears throat> so, but here's the thing. Jonah's instructions are, are rejected. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. I'm telling you here, when he told me that, I've been like, let's throw him. But, but other things are going on here for those guys. So here's a side note, side note with Jimmy, it's a, the podcast. Maybe Brian will hear that and go, we should do that. Um, so here's a side note. This is for some people in this room. It's for me too sometimes. They just kept rowing even though they knew Jonah was the problem. It was like they did a reset, like, oh, we could throw him overboard. We're just going to row some more. Sometimes we stay in unhealthy relationships even though we know they're the problem. Verse 5, we sometimes throw the good stuff out trying to keep them afloat or in our lives. We do. Or we don't seek the help we need to deal with that relationship. We just keep on rowing. Maybe we don't heed the directions the Lord's given us. Maybe we don't do what he's asked us to do. We run from him, and we try to support that person that's causing the boat to sink. <clears throat> Maybe they didn't follow the direction because they thought, if the Lord caused this storm because of this guy, what would he do if we killed him? I don't know. That's just a possibility like, holy smokes. <laughs> so if we kill him, we're really going to get it. Um, so finally they follow his instructions. Verse 14, it says, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. See, they've switched over now. Now they're talking to this God. They're like the God of the universe. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. <clears throat> so now they're calling out to Jonah's God, the Lord, capital letters. And isn't it ironic that what Jonah set out to avoid happens? Like, he's like trying to run from this, and God's like, I'm still in control. These guys are going to trust me. So the storm immediately stops. If these guys were scared before, now they're terrified. Because now this just brought everything into place. As soon as he hit the water, it's like, whoosh, They're like, I mean, that, what a statement, right? Like, you can never not uh, turn from the Lord after that. But God, so God is glorified. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the man feared the Lord of sin, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They were now publicly believers in this God. They saw and glorified God. So even when Jonah's trying to, to run, God's doing his stuff. So Jonah is saved and placed back on course here at this point. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up, swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's where we're stopping, chapter 1. So here again, we see God is in, is in control and sovereign. He appointed the fish. He, it's, God's totally in control of this situation. No matter what Jonah's doing, God's in control. But here's where we turn. We have to say, we must ask ourselves, is there something of Jonah's situation reflected in our own lives? Yes. Yes. Every one of us at some point or another, we are all in the same, same boat pun intended. <laughs> we resist, we have self-righteousness, and we seek our own plan, and we resist his. It's an everyday battle. What are you refusing to do that the Lord has commanded and is pursuing you to do? Only you know that. Only you and the, the Lord know that. 
Are you running from surrendering to him? I meet a lot of people, that's just what it boils down to. They just don't want to surrender. They know it's going to be better when they do, but they just do not want to surrender. So the Jews, when they read Jonah, they declare, we are Jonah. They get it. And that's during, I think, Yom Kippur, Kippur. I think that's how you say it. The gospel. So where's the gospel at in this story? And this is where it got excited for me. Yesterday, I was like, okay, God, I think I've got all this, and I've studied through it. And I was just driving down the road, and then it just, it just hit me. I was like, this is the gospel. This is a gospel story. So you have to ask yourself, there's two main characters going on. I mean, there's more than that, but what we're seeing here is Jonah and the Ninevites. So are you the Ninevites in this story? Are you, are you the Ninevites? Do you represent them? Are you not a believer? Do you not, you, you want to, you want to seek God. Are you the enemy of God? He's declared a coming judgment. And that freaks me out even saying that. Like it's a big deal. But he has also provided mercy for those who repent, turn for their sin, and place their trust in his son Jesus. That's what chapter 4 is. Um, no spoiler alerts. I'm just going to leave it alone. <clears throat> so I'm going to repeat that. He has also provided mercy for those who repent, turn from their sin, and place their trust in his son Jesus. Now let's remember Jesus' referral to Jonah in Matthew 12:40. This is what Jesus said. A little bit of my paraphrase here. Uh, for all you critical people who are like, that's not word for word, the ESV. It's, it's the same. Just as Jonah was within the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's a grave. So here's what we need to think about. He, Jesus, was willingly thrown into the sea, which represent death. He was willingly thrown into the sea for you. He was willingly, willingly thrown into death for you. He was swallowed by a great fish. That's the grave. He emerged from the great fish, the grave, unscathed. He took your penalty for you. Man, that gives me goosebumps. That's awesome stuff. Like, this is, it doesn't matter if you're the Ninevites, turn to him. He offers that mercy. And to finish, and I think this is where most of us are, are you Jonah? Are you running from what the Lord has asked you to do? So I would ask you, why are you running? There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go. And what he has for you is so much better. So let me pray. We'll close on that. Father God, I just thank you for this time uh, just to see your word come to life for us as we dig into it. And we, it just refreshes us, reminds us of your love and your mercy. And how even, Lord, when there's storms in our life, those storms are there to drive us to you. I thank you for being such a great father. Jesus name.